You probably all heard somebody come up to you and say, um, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which do you want? Some people say, just give me the bad news first and I'll listen to the good news. Some people want the good news first and then the bad news. Some people say, I only want the good news. Some people say, well, just give me the bad news. So you have all types of people. But you'll find throughout the Bible that some of the writers of scriptures will give you both. In Colossians chapter 3, is a good example of that. It starts out with saying, if ye then be risen with Christ. And then he goes on and addresses um, putting off the old man. So that's kind of, in a sense, the bad news. And then he says, putting on the new man, and that's the good news. So there's a lot of good news. There's some admonition. There's some things that maybe aren't as pleasant to talk about, but it's necessary. And I, I think when, um, when you are given... The good news and the bad news, it puts your life into perspective because now you make a decision. In our line of work, sometimes we have people come in and we say, I got some bad news and a good news. The good news is we found the problem. The bad news, it's going to cost you $3,000. Okay, so they have to make a decision on what to do. But in our, in our Christian life, <clears throat> I believe the good news that God gives us and the bad news helps keep us in perspective, helps keep our life in perspective. And we find that in Colossians 3, when he gives us the admonition, he says, put off the old man. Okay, how do I do that? It spells it out. And then it says, put on the new man. How do we do that? It spells it out. I'm going to start reading, um, actually, I'll just read the whole chapter if you want to follow along. And it's got 25 verses. So starting in verse 1, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as, is, as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. 
Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men-pleasers, but in signalness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Going back into the first four verses, um, there's a phrase that he puts, he says in verse one, it says, if ye then be risen with Christ. So it's seeking, it's asking a question and it's directing it directly to the people that say, I am risen with Christ. Then he says, after that, he says, if you are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. So we look at, at as a Christian, you want to have that spiritual, re, or you have that spiritual rebirth, and then as a Christian, you have growth. And I like to look, look at these first four verses in saying that, um, use the analogy of when Christ died, he gave up his life and he died on the cross, was in the tomb for three days, and after three days, he rose again. And we, we've just gone through the Easter season and we celebrated that, we were taught about it, and we, we look at the example that Christ left. So, and the best part about the whole story is the resurrection and the empty tomb. Um, I've never been there, but they say, supposedly, they, ha they know where the tomb's at. But if you go in there, if you can find the empty tomb, or the tomb, it's empty. If you go to a graveyard, and I wouldn't want to open the box up, but if you would, you would find bones. Now, the spiritual analogy I would like to, do, like to leave or, or, or bring out is that when we seek the things of heaven, when we seek God... We are supposed to leave the tomb of our old man. So if you have risen with Christ, you are supposed to crucify the old man. And, and crucify means to kill. So you kill the old man, and then as the resurrection comes, you leave the tomb. Now imagine as a Christian you say, I'm saved, but you still live in your sins. And that's just, that would be just like Jesus being in the tomb saying, I'm risen, but I'm going to stay here. You see, Jesus ascended to the Father and is today sitting, on, sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning his kingdom. We wouldn't want Jesus to stay back in that tomb. We say, well, at least he's alive. But see, a tomb is a dead, dark place. There's no life in a tomb. And you look at people that are living their life in sin, and they are living their life as dead people in a tomb. So he is saying, he's telling us in the first verse, if ye then be risen with Christ, see, as we've left the life of sin, and as we've gone into victory, he's saying, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid, with Christ in God. So not only are we supposed to leave or to, be, to join a life of rebirth to, to experience that resurrection, but we're supposed to leave the darkness of the tomb. And then in verse 
3, it says, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, before you had a rebirth um, from young up, you have developed a personality. You have developed a reputation. And now all of a sudden, you're supposed to be hid in Christ. You're supposed to be hid in Christ. So in a sense, what he's teaching us here is lose your identity. If we hide ourselves in Christ, that means that Christ is forefront. I haven't played this for a while, but as a child, um, a bunch of our friends would play hide-and-go-seek. Now, one thing that we did not do is go in the house and put on a bright neon green shirt and then hide behind a tree that's an inch in diameter. You would be screaming, I'm here because you're not hiding yourself. And you would probably lose every game you play. But in the game of hide and seek, the, the object is, is to, to, to blend in with the surroundings, to find a place where you can hide, and so your identity is no longer known. Your whereabouts is known, and people walk all over, and they cannot find you, then you know you're successful. How would that be in a Christian life, is if we hide ourselves in Christ, and they look all over, where is Eldon? He must have hidden himself so good. All we can see is Christ. That is a goal that every Christian should have, where you hide yourself in Christ. You lose your identity, and, and I still recognize everybody here. I can see them. I can, I can know your name. I can put the, the name to the face. And that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, who are you? So when they see a person, who do they see? Do they see Christ? Do they see the characteristics of Christ coming out? Or do they see the selfishness of the old man? I believe the more that you set your affections on things above, the more you get filled with Christ and the more people see Christ in you. So spiritually, we need to play hide-and-go-seek. And let's see who can be the best hider. Hide yourself in Christ. Be immersed in Christ. I believe the more you surrender to Christ, the more Christ fills you, the more people will recognize you as a follower of God. I am going to suggest that people that exalt themselves, and it could be a preacher, it could be a Sunday school teacher, it could be a person sitting on the bench, the more they exalt themselves and talk about themselves, the less they are hidden in Christ. Because that's not the point. The point is not what I've done, how many awards I've gotten, how many books of the Bible I've memorized. And, the, and some of those things are good things, but that's not the point is bragging who we are. And we probably all know of people that have, that all they can do is talk about themselves. I've did this, I've done that. And that's who you see, but you don't see Christ. If you start sharing the goodness of God and what God what God can do for you, what God can do for others, you'll see more of Christ. I've got a couple verses, several verses here. In Luke chapter 14, verse 11, it says, For whoever, whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Proverbs 29, 23, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall, hum, shall uphold the humble in spirit. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God 
that he may exalt you in due time. <clears throat> but in this, in these first four verses, in ending in verse four, he says, "When Christ, who is your our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory." And I like the picture of here on earth, if we immerse ourselves and hide our life in Christ, someday we're going to be resurrected with him in glory. And it's a picture of the resurrection and that we, in a sense, re-emerge. In these verses, and there's many more verses that talk about humility, but it says that God may exalt you in due time, and that's in his time, not in our time. And sometimes we do things, we say, I want to be humble so that God exalts me. Well, then that's the wrong reason. We may not get recognized. We may not get exalted here on this earth. It says in due time. Sometime people will recognize the work they've done. And there's many stories of people that you look at maybe not as being important. And then you discover later on that they did a work behind the scenes that nobody knew. And their, their kingdom work was so great. It's like, why didn't I know that? Well, there's a reason. They were hidden in Christ. I'm going to move on to verses 5 through 9, and that is putting off the old men, or putting off the old man. When it says to crucify the old man, or to mortify, or put to death, we look at Christ after Christ was, was hung on the cross and he died. When they took him off that cross, I don't believe there was a muscle that was moving in his body. He was dead, and that's what it means to be dead. But you know, sometimes in our Christian life, we say, you know, I want to crucify the old man, and all we do is injure the arm. And then we're walking around saying, look what I did. I injured myself for Christ. Well, did you actually kill the, bot, kill the, the old man, kill the fleshly desires? And we can brag to people and say, I'm suffering for Christ because I gave up swearing, or I gave up you name it. I crucified the old man when all you did was kill one thing. And you're still walking around as a wounded old man. Here he's saying, kill the old man so it's dead, so that nothing's moving. I mean, when Jesus came down to the cross, he was dead. When we have a funeral and you walk in front of the casket, that person's dead. In fact, if that person started moving, um, <laughs> there'd probably be a hallelujah movement or a fast exit. Like, let me get out of here. We don't like to see people dead. But we like to have the old man to be dead. Because that's really the only way that you can have new life. The only way that I understand that you can go to heaven is if you die. So there has to be a death before there's a rebirth. Now there will be people living when Christ comes back, but they have to be transformed. So I don't know how that's all going to work, but if Christ comes back, well, there's... A million Christians living, just for the sake of argument, those bodies will have to be transformed, probably die and then resurrect again, or however that works. But you can't take this body as it is and go to heaven. It's a, it's a mortal body. It has to be transformed to an immortal body. So there has to be death. As long as your old man or part of your old man is living, 
it will be a detriment to your spiritual life. The flesh, what we call the flesh, or we, we call it the old man or even the devil, if we go back into the beginning in the Garden of Eden, and when God created mankind, he created them perfect. He created them without fault. That is the way God designed it. So we can say that our flesh, or the old man, or Satan, or the devil, he has no right to be controlling you. When you are tempted by one of these things that are mentioned, whether it's um, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, or evil concupiscence, or covetousness, which is idolatry, if these things are in you, they don't have a right to be there. They're not supposed to be there. That's not the way God designed it. <clears throat> That's why God wants us to kill those things, because he recognizes that any of these things that are in your life will end up controlling your life, will end up keeping you from finding that true spiritual freedom in Christ. Um, and in fact, he tells us another part of Scripture. He says, when you run, run the race and get rid of the weight that easily besets you. And it's not a physical weight, but it's the weight of sin. Now, one person tried to train, um, and he wanted to get in shape, so he carried a backpack. He thought that if he would train with a backpack with weight in it, that would get him better in shape. Well, that ended up dragging him down until he was told, take the backpack off, you'll run faster. You'll get in shape a little better. But if he was, if he was to get in shape and then say, you know what, I'm good to go, I'm gonna run the race with this heavy backpack, would that work? No. So it says, Lay, crucify the old man, get rid of these things. So these, these sins in the life have no authority in you. They are not designed to be there. And he says, get rid of the old man. And that's kind of like the bad news. This, this section right here is the bad news in your life. And God, whoever wrote this Colossians 3 says, get rid of that. that. That is the bad news I'm bringing you. It's not supposed to be there. And then he comes out with the good news. I think that I would rather, if somebody comes up, comes up to me and says, you know, would you, I've got two things. I've got good news and bad news. Give me the bad news first. Because then I can deal with it. And then you give me the solution, you give me the good news after. So that's what he's doing here. He's saying, get to, to kill that body, mortify, therefore, the things that are dragging you down. If there's anything that's dragging you down, get rid of it. Then he says in, um, from verse 10 through 17, and this is the good news. And he says, have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, it, it, it uses the word knowledge in here. And, and I believe that the word of God is a powerful tool that we can use. In here, there's so much. There is so much wisdom and knowledge in the scriptures. And if we, if we expect to be putting on the new man and lay this on our shelf the whole time and don't read it, how can you get knowledge? How can you receive what you need to receive? So, well, I'll just wait until somebody comes and talks to me. Then I'll get his advice. I believe God wants us to gain knowledge. And through the knowledge of the scriptures, we have a growth or a step in renewing our life. Now, a little exercise to do is if you would think of being renewed as a new man. It's up to you. If you want to do this, you can close your eyes 
and just imagine what the new man would be. So think about um, maybe your life or maybe you think of your neighbor that's sitting beside you. If he was to be a new man and renewed in the knowledge, what would it look like? And you can open your eyes. Were you thinking of somebody that was well-dressed, he just took a shower, and he smells good? He looks like he's ready for church. Or did you think of somebody that is kind and loving? That he came and brought you a bouquet of flowers or just dropped off some food or took you out to eat and just shared a lot of kind things to you. What comes to your mind when you think of a new man that is renewed in the knowledge of, of God? I believe that's where we need to start. What God puts into your mind, that's where you need to start. Because God wants to renew you. He wants to put off the old and to put on the new. I believe it's necessary in, in this morning in our time of sharing. It was brought out that some of the things did not go according to plan. You get a phone call. This happens. It's not what we were planning. I had my day planned out. We were going to do this and this and this. It didn't happen. I think it's necessary that we direct our thoughts to what the new man should be. And that helps us bring into perspective of what our day goes like, of what the coming week is like. Because things happen that are devastating. And it could be something small. It could be something that's annoying. Um, this past week, or this time of the year, it's, it's mushroom time. It's time to find mushrooms. I've got my own little spot that every year I find mushrooms. I discovered that somebody had the audacity to tear out some trees, and then there was this nice corner that was a good place to put the trees. So they dumped the trees there. It's right where I would find my mushrooms. That is annoying. So now I'm finding mushrooms ducking under trees, branches, and inside I'm thinking, couldn't they put them over there? But they had no clue. It's a small, little annoying thing. But you know, if I find some mushrooms, it's not as annoying anymore, is it? Or it could be a call you get from the doctor, say you got cancer. That's annoying. I don't want cancer. But it's a change of plans. It's important that we redirect our thoughts. If he says to put on the new man, what does that look like? Because one thing that is guaranteed, and I, without being a prophet, without looking to the future, I can guarantee this next week, that one of you right here, something will go outside of what you have planned. It happens every week. It probably happens every day. Saturday, 10 minutes before closing, I get a phone call. My car doesn't start or I can't get the key turned. Could you come tow it? We close at 12. It takes half an hour. Sure, I'll do it because I don't want to be the person that's stranded, so I'll help you out. That didn't go according to my plan. So those are things that can annoy you or you can just breathe and say, you know what? The new man, what Christ taught me, is to help people. If I'm going to be inconvenienced because of a problem they couldn't control, <clears throat> what are we going to do? As the elect of God, we put on, and some of the things that are taught in 
verses 10 through 17, is to forgive as Christ forgave us. And to paraphrase it, love is what holds us together. It's the glue that keeps Christians working together. And it talks about to rule with the peace of God. So the peace of God in our life is what rules our life, or should. And the beautiful part is to dwell in the Word of God. The more you dwell in the Word of God, the more knowledge you have. The more knowledge you have, the more forgiveness you have. The more forgiveness you have, the more love you have. The more love you have, the more peace you have. The more peace you have, the more you read the Word of God. And I could keep going and going and going. It's a circle. As you put on the new man, these things will keep coming and they'll keep going and they'll keep coming and they'll keep expanding and growing. I love this, this portion of scripture and it's the good news. It's the good news that we can embrace and take. And that is a challenge I'm going to leave with you. Going to verses 18, 18 through 21. This is talking a little bit about the family unit. And in verse 18, it says to, that wives are to submit unto your own husbands. And there's also other verses that would bring out more of that. And this is more of just a small little section. I'm not going to go into the other verses, but it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Every one of us here fits into one of those categories. Even though I'm, I'm a husband, I'm married, I'm still a child. I'm a grown child, but I'm still a child. I, I have to obey, or it says here to children obey your parents, and it doesn't say children obey your parents until you're 16 and then you can do whatever you want. It doesn't say children obey your parents until you're 49 and then you can do whatever you want. It doesn't say children obey your parents until you're 60 and then you can do whatever you want. Children obey your parents. And maybe there is an age that is assumed in scripture but it's not here. Now, in verse 18, for you wives, it says, wives submit to your, your own husbands. It doesn't say you have to love your husband, but it commands the husband to love your wives. So did I just let you off the hook, saying you can do whatever, you don't have to love us. All you have to do is just say, yes, dear. And that's all you're required to do. And the husband says, all you have to do is just love your wives. But it's more than that. If you look at, if you look at all of scripture, and you look especially the part um, or putting on the new man, I think that coincides with the family unit. And if you look at putting on um, accepting or, or practicing forgiveness, forbearing with one another, that will translate into family life. Children have a hard time obeying their parents when their parents provoke them and are angry and are bitter. Does it mean they shouldn't? A wife has a hard time submitting to a husband that doesn't love her. And a husband has long, a hard time loving his wife that doesn't submit to her. And a husband and wife have a hard time teaching their children when their children are disobedient. You see, those are things that are, that are happening in real life. But he commands us here is that 
and, and it's cyclical. There's, there's things that happen. Um, if you say, well, I'll be a good husband, I'll love my wife, I will treat my children with respect, I won't provoke them to anger, as long as everybody treats me nice. See, that'll probably never happen. Because if you wait for the perfect children, if you wait for the perfect wife to be the perfect husband, well, what's going to happen? But as husbands, we know that if we want to have loving children, then we need to show respect to them. We need to love them. And we need to treat them with care and not be bitter against them. And it's the same way in, in life, in work, in church. If you have people that irritate you, your response should not be dictated by the old man. Your response should be controlled by the Spirit of God. And that's where, as we hide ourselves in Christ, it affects our walk of life, it affects our family, it affects our marriage. And as a child growing up, it affects how you relate to your parents. Parents do some really strange things sometimes, say some really weird things. Um, maybe they tell one too many jokes that you've heard 40 times, and it gets annoying. But you're supposed to love them. And children sometimes will do things that you don't want them to do, but you still need to love them. You still need to care for them. Going into the last part of the, of the, of the scripture here, verses 22 through 25. Here it's talking about servants or workers or employees. Servants obey in all things your master according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in signalness of heart, fearing God. What I got out of these several verses here is do it for Christ. Work and serve in your capacity. And you don't do it for each other. You don't do it for an award. You do it for Christ. And that's what comes out in almost in, in the things that are taught from 10 through 17 where you put on the new man it talks about your life in christ and how it relates to um in your work now back when this was written there was slavery back in the old testament there was slavery i'm going to read a verse from exodus 21 or two verses exodus 21 verses 5 through 6. when i mentioned slavery the picture you might get is a cruel master with a whip whipping somebody and saying you haven't met your quota for the day or you work faster or you've done this and it's a very harsh cruel slave master but they're not all that way in fact in in exodus 21 5 through 6 um moses gave this he said that well i'll just read the verse it says if the master plainly, or I'm sorry, if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will no, not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or the doorpost and his master shall pierce his ear with an owl, all, and he shall serve him forever. And I believe the servant that served his master was doing that because his master treated him really well. And the master loved his servant. And the servant says, you know what? I've got a really nice. I've got a good master. I want to serve him forever. And so they would go to the judge, take him back to the doorpost, and bam, put a little notch in his ear. And that was a symbol to serve him forever. Now, I'm not recommending that we do that, but spiritually, 
we should mark our lives to serve God forever. And then he tells us in verse 25, But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Then backing up to 24, Knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. And I hope that in our hearts we have found that perfect master, which is Jesus Christ. Because while we serve people here on earth, there are faults with our masters here on earth. But with Jesus Christ, there is no fault. So as we put off the old man, we put on the new man. And in summary, I would say we live for God and we live for eternity. God bless you in this coming week.